Welcome to the Healing Trauma and CPTSD Podcast. I'm your host, Monique Coven. I'm a certified trauma recovery coach, and this podcast is all about hope and recovery. Hi, everyone, and welcome back. So today I'm going to share a conversation I had with Owen Morgan. And Owen is going to talk about his own healing and his own trauma journey and what kinds of things have led him to understanding more about his experience and his body and healing. And I think it's going to be really relatable. So um, I'm excited to share it with you. I really enjoy the conversation with him. So Owen is a massage therapist. He's a personal trainer and a podcast host. He's interviewed hundreds of people over the last six years, and he's set to, to launch his brand new podcast called The Awareness Space in the new year. He nearly died in 2015 of a rare digestive condition that changed his life forever. He's on a mission to bring awareness to the power of awareness. Enjoy. Welcome to the podcast, Owen. I'm so happy you're here. I really appreciate you reaching out and opening this space for me. It's fantastic. I'm really, really grateful. Well, I've been following your work as well, and I know that you're very passionate about trauma and healing, polyvagal theory. And so I said, I want to hear a little bit about what's behind, because there's always a story, um, what's behind the passion. And um, I thought we could talk a little bit about your own story and and sort of what what drives all of this passion inside of you. So I don't, I don't know where you really want to start, because um, I just want the listeners to kind of get a story and an understanding of um, kind of how how trauma starts and how it can impact us at different stages of our lives. And so where do you want to start? Where do you think would be the best place to start? Well, I think it's interesting because I've had numerous traumas in my lifetime from the age of six all the way through to um, what well, would be about 35 at the time. So I, I was really fascinated by, by the the time I've been through all of this, trauma was such a fascination to me, how it impacts us on a mind level, a nervous system level, um, how we interact with others. And that's how I just fell in love with learning about trauma through my own healing journey. Um, and it was only until I got to that 35 um, age where I ended up in hospital and I was going down for life-saving surgery and I was ready to give up and say goodbye to this world that I came out of that all guns blazing, wanting to learn as much as I could. And I'm, what, 37 now. So in the last few years, I've just been on this big mission to learn all about what it is to be human and why these things manifest. And it was a very special moment in hospital when a doctor said to me, he said to me, have you had problems with anxiety in your life? And I said, yeah, I've, you know, I've been struggling for about five or six years now with blackout anxiety, you know, just full on fainting. It was so bad. Mm. And he said to me, okay, so we know that that affects our nervous system on a fight and flight level. So if you're in constant fight and flight, then things like your digestion, your gut don't quite work properly because your body thinks it's in some kind of fear response, runaway thing going on. 
and that causes our digestion not to quite function. And I was in hospital for pretty much multiple organ failure where my digestion had got completely blocked and was no longer functioning. And even from the medical perspective, they felt that it was the years of anxiety that eventually had a physical toll on my body in that I could not digest food and that could have taken, you know, taken my life. So it kind of intertwined my fascination between the mind body connection. And I think that's where it came from. I'm just, I'm just kind of in awe here because I don't know, you said you've heard from several, several um, doctors and that, you know, the relationship between um, anxiety or trauma and how it affects even your dige- digestive system. I, I don't know that that's amazing because usually we don't always hear that. And that seems to be the missing key. So I think it's incredible that these doctors were able to be the ones to tell you, Hey, this is, this has more to do with stress on your body and trauma and, you know, your nervous system than maybe, you know, the food or food allergies or, or, you know, or whatever it could be um, in that way. Yeah, I mean, it, I, the biggest part of that story, I think, is that is the the doctors were willing to see that because there wasn't really much of an explanation for what I had, which was called intersusception. I still can't quite say it. Intersusception, I think that's right, <laughs> where part of your intestine gets dragged into another part. Um, so it's not a tangled bowel; it's like a drag through, like a periscoping. And for someone that young, I used to run half marathons every other weekend at that time. I was so fit. I ate really well. So there was no reason for me to have a dysfunction in the bowel like that. It doesn't really make any sense. And they couldn't explain it other than it being a freak thing or it being linked to a fight and flight issue and my body being dysregulated. And it blew my mind hearing that information. So at at that point, I only really knew about CBT, NLP and all that kind of stuff, all the top down stuff. I hadn't really explored bottom up. And when the doctor said that, I was like, wow, I need to find out more about this. And I, ever since I've been blown away by body, the body up, the sort of bottom up approach. It's amazing stuff. So I, I just want to stop you there. I mean, it's incredible and I want to dig more into it. But I'm thinking about, you know, all these people who, um, you know, might be having not to the degree that you did necessarily, but, you know, digestive problems and IBS and, and, you know, trying to get some help and maybe not being able to link that there's a possibility that it could be uh, related to the fight and flight and the, the nervous system and thinking, you know, trying to get to the bottom of it, but kind of going in circles. So um, maybe listening to this might be, um, might provide a little bit of insight. Yeah, certainly. And I interviewed, uh, I've done my own podcast over the years, interviewed a chap that had um, extreme IBS. And as we start to dive into his story and, you know, see what was going on for him, you could see all of the trauma he had as a kid and everything that had happened to him. Um, and it wasn't difficult to see the correlation between, you know, what he was experiencing as an adult based off the trauma that he had had. So the more people I interview in my journey, same as yourself, you start to start to see patterns of how our bodies deal with this dysregulation and how it affects certain organs, certain, it can affect cells even, and it has that kind of impact if we are not fully regulated in the way our body needs to function. And it's been an amazing journey just seeing those patterns emerge and i'm hoping there'll be more literature over the years to explain this as being a viable reason for so many of the problems that we have as humans 
Oh, yes. So let's go back to what you were saying. So as soon as you found that out, you said, okay, well, I'm going to go for therapy. I'm going to to try to get to the bottom of this. And so you started more with the top down. So, so tell us a little bit about that. Like when you say top down, I know what you mean, but in case others um, may not understand. So what, 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 what did you do? Yeah. So, you know, the 10 years prior to this illness that I had, I had had all kinds of top-down stuff from your, your CBT, cognitive behavioral therapy, NLP, hypnotherapy, you know, everything that was kind of, you know, looking at your thoughts, your the way your, your brain is wired, you know, all the cognitive functioning or, you know, frontal cortex, all that kind of stuff. And it's all important, definitely. And there is a lot of effect of your mind coming down into your body, how our thoughts keep us in anxiety loops, you know, all this kind of stuff. And uh, I'm so glad I learned all that. It was really, really powerful. But I kind of disregarded the body. I hadn't really thought about how our body on a nervous system level, be it fight and flight or shut down, which would be essentially your, you know, a version of depression, how that nervous system aspect can affect us going back up again. So I'm so grateful for everything I learned about top down. And a lot of the therapy I had, I had 10 lots of hypnotherapy, which was absolutely brilliant. And it made me realize all my childhood trauma that I kind of blocked out of my mind, had no idea that I'd been abused. It wasn't until I had hypnotherapy that I was able to discover that. Um, but then what that did is it left my body in a complete dysregulated mess. And I didn't, I wasn't given the tools on how to help my body recover from the trauma it experienced because I can't just do it via my mind. I have to come into a sort of more somatic based, you know, feeling into the sensations. So coming out of the surgery and everything, I was able to look at that. And there was a really huge moment for me when my partner, who was a mindfulness teacher, because it started with mindfulness after my surgery, you see, that's how it started, that she said to me, come into your body and find somewhere that feels safe to you, somewhere in your body that you can sense into that feels comfortable. I couldn't do it. I couldn't find anywhere. My body was on fire. It was tight. It was painful. It was numbing. I was like, whoa, okay, there's a real issue here. I do not feel safe in my body whatsoever. That lack of safety was there. So I was able to then go on a journey of just, you know, trying to figure out how do I become safe in my body? How can I hold a space for my own suffering to be, to be held by me? Um, and by no means is it easy. And it may seem quite a complex journey when you when it's said like this, but as soon as polyvagal theory came into my life, it absolutely changed the game. And I was able to see this really simply how this works and then yeah. tell my audience on my podcast how this works. And it's such a tangible way to learn about these things. So, you know, just to, to wrap that up, so grateful for the top-down learning, but the bottom-up changes everything for me. Um, and I'm so grateful to to know it now. Yeah, it's so similar, um, you know, to my learnings as well. Um, I too am so grateful for learning about the top down and the thoughts because it really gave me the opportunity to see how much of my thinking was causing some of my dysregulation. I was very, um, you know, I would be doing a lot of a what if thinking. And so the what if thinking and creating scenarios was creating a lot of anxiety. And I didn't even realize because we don't see our thoughts how much that was creating. And so that was really, really helpful, but it did not explain, you know, this below awareness, uh, nervousness that I wasn't thinking anything and I was feeling 
anxious. And this is the polyvagal theory. And this is where this whole understanding of this neuroception beneath detection is just absolutely amazing. And it's been, it's really also shifted my, um, my understanding. And it's what I, I, I use for my own clients as well. I'm in training for that. It's, it's incredible. Yeah, honestly, like, Oh, I can't talk about this stuff enough. Yeah, um, I've done so many, so many episodes on polyvagal theory with some of my guests that have become co-hosts on my previous podcast. And it, it's just, there's still so much to learn about this. And I'm yes. still, you know, in love with Pete Levine and some experiencing too. I'm in love yeah, with that. Me too. So it's, it's, it changed when I heard about, you know, the story follows states, you know, the way you think can be affected by your body sensations at the time, you're then able to really start to see that feedback loop and how you can get really trapped in it. Yeah. You know, how can I stop the loop? Where, where is the end point to get that loop to flow a little bit easier? So you have mm -hmm. a little bit more compassion, compassionate control, I guess, over what's going on. You can't control what happens to you, but you can use this awareness to to get you halfway there at least. Yeah. And, you know, I think with the top down, I think, and I, I shouldn't speak for you, so I'll only speak for me, but I think you'll relate. I think what we were trying to do in therapy, I know I was, was um, I wanted my therapist to basically tell me, how can I be safe in my body? But she wasn't dealing with the top, they weren't dealing with the top, uh, the bottom up. And so they weren't able to give me an answer because you cannot feel safe in your thoughts, in your head, because safety is a, is a physiological feeling. So you can't, you can't. Yeah. So that was, that was really frustrating. I, I, sh I remember sharing with one of my therapists um, that I really tried to give it my all. And after about eight months, I, I pointed to my stomach and I said, when is this going to go away? When is this going to stop? And I was basically talking about this, this, this dysregulation that was happening in my body that was not connected to my thinking at the, you know, at uh, certain times. Yeah. And that's, that's a really good way to think about it. And you know, I, I, I often think when I go out the door, when I walk out the door of my, my flat and I go out into the world, I think about it as kind of like a, all these nervous system dancing around. You know, there's people everywhere. <laughs> and then my nervous yeah. system is reacting to someone else's nervous system. Maybe their posture slightly off and it makes my nervous mm -hmm. system go, what's going on with that person over there? It's like this primal thing, like this animal side of us, this, this primate bit of us that is always on the lookout. I feel like our nervous system makes a decision about something before we even get a chance to start to think about what's yes. going on. And I think if we misread those messages, it could lead to a very, you know, a very, very discomfort based life really, because you don't really know what's going on. You know, why do I feel like this all the time? Why do I feel so rubbish? But it's your yes. nervous system is giving you some feedback, but because we're not aware of what's going on, we don't have an understanding. We feel stuck. I like to think about it as being stuck, you know, when no one's broken, we're just stuck in this not understanding our own nervous system, really. Yeah, yeah. I also found that it really helped me when I understood the nervous system, um, you know, kind of going back to some of the things I experienced with, let's say, caregivers. And you kind of realize, too, like, hmm, you know, you talked about this animal kind of primitive uh, responses. And that's a lot of what I saw you know, um, and that just kind of gives you a bit of a perspective um, on, on what was going on for them as well. Yeah. So tell us, um, <coughs> excuse me, 
Um, tell us about how um, you started rebuilding your life, I guess, after your surgery. Yeah. So first off, you know, from the, the surgery perspective, the, the big part of all of that of, of a trauma level is that because the hospital didn't know what was wrong with me and they did x-rays and it didn't come up, they weren't able to see because it was soft tissue, they, they, it wouldn't have come up. They sent me home. So the big part of my trauma journey is I spent six days at home with just the most horrific pain where my basically my stomach completely sealed off. So whenever I tried to eat anything, I just instantly vomit it back up. But I, because they didn't know and they made me feel like it wasn't something life-threatening, I just kept going <laughs> for six days. So I didn't sleep. I didn't eat. I lost nearly two stone in six days where my, oh my body had started to eat itself. But the biggest part of the journey away from that physiology of, of that happening, by the way, I think that's amazing that my body would consume itself to stay alive. I think that's amazing. Yeah, I do too. So cool. Um, is that just the mentalness of all of that, having to sit with that pain and just, I remember rocking, you know, I was rocking in the kitchen in the middle of the night, looking in a cupboard that was full of chocolate treats and all that kind of stuff. And I laugh about it now. But it was like a safe, a safe cupboard for me. I just wish I, I could eat again, really. And it was just the, the level of trauma that was happening in my body in that moment. When I came out of surgery, I was like, oh, my God, I'm still here. I'm still alive. OK, that's cool. And what I noticed for the first six months was just how out of my body I was because uh, it was just it was like the final. I think it was the final punch for me after child abuse uh, when I was younger and school bullying and everything. This felt like the final, the final bit for my body. My body said, you know what? I've had enough. <laughs> I've had enough of feeling like this. Mm. So I had to really explore what was going on with my body because I couldn't really feel anything. And I was, I was back in, I was running again and doing 10 K races and half marathons and all that kind of stuff, trying to get my, my weight back on and get super fit. But I felt so dis disconnected from the moment that I was in, because I was just was not in my body. I think that level of trauma over those six days was just too much. It was, I think it was full on PTSD really. And I had to then find a safe way to get back. And to be honest with you, just learning about it all and listening to podcasts and audio books actually for me was quite healing in the end, because I was able to try a few little things. So Deb Dana would talk about some, from polyvagal talked about some techniques that you could use i tried some of that out my partner came into my life she's amazing she's a mindfulness teacher so she took me mm -hmm. through some techniques and i was able to safely start to come back into my body it took time um but i i think the underpinning was certainly the lust for for learning about it all and trying things out not everybody has that so i feel very blessed to have that urge yes. but it was a combination of me physically trying to get back on track of course um because i've lost so much weight and all my muscle tissue but i was a pt i was a personal trainer fully experienced i know exactly how to do that so that was the easy bit but it was wow okay my my whole being feels very very sort of broken down and crumbling and i had to try and reconnect my body and mind again and i sit here today with you probably the happiest i've ever been in my life um and knowing that to be honest i could walk out the door right now and have another trauma i could get hit by a car i could be attacked who knows i could get coronavirus who knows but i'm now in a position to have the tools to deal with the next trauma because that is life at the end of the day 
but I couldn't do that without an awareness and knowledge of all this stuff. And I just hope that what you're doing, which is amazing with the podcast and what me and my colleagues and my community are doing, hopefully we can reach people, can't we, who can have the same level of knowledge that we have just from, from wanting to know about it. Mm. So I'm, I have a question about, um, like, did you feel that you were disconnected or not being able to be embodied, um, you know, before the accident? Did you, when you think about it now, was that sort of like you were, you were never really embodied or were there times where you did feel like you were? I felt like I was trying to find embodiment through my fitness journey. So I was so addicted to exercise. So half marathons, like I said, every other weekend. And I was obsessed with food. I used to play um, racquetball squash for like four hours in a row. I felt like now on reflection, I was trying to connect to it. You know, I was trying to batter my body to the point that I could feel, you know, the afterburn from an exercise or whatever. I felt, I felt, I was quite obsessive. And on reflection now, I kind of see why. But after all my my abuse as a kid and my bullying, I came out of that with just numbing depression. Couldn't leave the house, couldn't talk to strangers, uh, couldn't look people in the eye. You know, I was just completely just shut down, just absolutely felt terrible. But mm. I was high functioning. And if there's any listeners right now that get this, you can actually be terribly depressed, but also be high functioning. So I could hold a job down and do a pretty good job of it. But I, as soon as I get home, I'm just a mess. So there's a level of high functioning to survive. But mm -hmm. that numbing depression lasted till I was about 27. And then it, when I had the hypnotherapy and discovered my trauma, I then switched over to anxiety. So I kind of moved away from depression, which I thought was fascinating, and moved into fight and flight. And it was just horrific, like the level of anxiety that I had once I remembered this stuff and it, I, my body had come alive, you know, it switched on, but it switched on all of the pain, <laughs> but there was no safety. So then I was left with this, oh my yeah. God state. Um, but again, high functioning. I was very good at getting through, getting through it best I could and distracting myself through, you know, addictions. And then it, I was like that until about a year before my illness where things had started to calm down a little bit because of all the top down stuff. Cause it did play a part, but mm -hmm. I was aware that my mind was starting to sort itself out a little bit, but there was definitely something missing and I couldn't quite figure it out because I didn't mm -hmm. know about mm -hmm. the stuff that we know. Yeah. So yeah. the illness was yeah. my wake up call, I think to do some of that bottom up. So I have a question and I, I wonder if people are thinking the same thing. And that's that, um, so you said that you didn't remember your trauma or some of your trauma. So tell us about that. Like you had no memory. Did you have a little bit of memory? Um, yeah. It, yeah, to be honest with you, I, I, I still blows my mind really that I didn't, I hadn't thought about that. I didn't remember much of my childhood. I hadn't thought about that. I didn't remember it, if that makes sense. So the first nine years, I didn't really remember anything. I couldn't remember mm -hmm. my street where I lived or anything like that. It was weird, mm -hmm. but it hadn't really come up for me. But, you know, I knew there was something wrong because it's depression, but I couldn't put my finger on it. And it was when, you know, I had this hypnotherapy. And I'm not entirely sure I understand fully yet how it works. But I know yeah. from, you know, Bezel van der Kolk's work with The Body Keeps the Score that I've, now I've learned more about trauma. I realized that my body had kept the score. So my body at the time of the abuse, my body had stored it and it hadn't been processed. I hadn't 
process the trauma or yeah. sorted any of it out. And I think it was too much to bear. So I think my body held on to it, but my mind must have found some way of disassociating mm -hmm. from my body in that process so I can function. And I think what I was talking about earlier is a prime example of that, that I was very just in my mind. So my mind was living my life, but my body was over somewhere else because my mind, I don't think, could compute that level of trauma, if that makes yeah. sense. Um, so. Oh, does it make sense? It totally makes sense. And uh, I think a lot of people can can relate to that. And And I think that that's also why you know, we get a little bit scared to get into the body. It's almost like because maybe it knows or we know that it might feel something it doesn't want to feel, you know. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, I, I mean, I, <laughs> I could relate. And sometimes, you know, I'd wonder why I would respond to certain things um, in such an, you know, intense way. But, you know, they were really triggers of things that I might not be able to remember explicitly. But my body remembers and, and history um, proves that it, it actually did happen. So, yeah, it makes sense. Um, so you found hypnotherapy very, very helpful. Yeah, it was um, at the time. It was amazing. Like I said, you know, I wouldn't remember these things if I wasn't under trance. And he got me to go back to places like that. And I'm, it was very vivid to me. It was I always explained to it is a bit like a black and white movie. It was really surreal. It was like, is this me? Is is this space that I'm familiar with this room that I'm in? What is this, you know, this woman, you know, oh what, what's this woman wow. doing? And it was like, it was really, really fascinating to see that play out. And then when I kind of came out of hypnosis at the end of the session, I would burst into tears. And as Pete Levine would be excited mm -hmm. about, I started to shake. So my body <laughs> was shaking and I was trembling and all this kind of stuff. And it was, Oh my God, it was so relieving. It was like, there was a level of relief there. Like I, done a little piece of it there's a little piece of shaking it off but it was still a bit of like was that me was that a child version of me Am I, is it my yeah. imagination running away with me so hypnotherapy mm -hmm. is really interesting because mm -hmm. it puts you into that sort of subconscious deep state so it's 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 knowing like how much can i believe my deep state if that makes sense mm -hmm. um <laughs> yeah it does but it's it obviously yeah. proved its worth in the end because when i tracked it back so it's my parents and stuff I I remember the childminder now and and then on reflection I was able to say oh yeah I do remember this and now then I started to remember my street again and some of those memories came back like all the other memories as well it was very cool I was able to like remember my wow. bedroom and all that kind of thing I do want to say like not everybody responds that well always so clearly as you did to hypnotherapy I mean I know people who tried it and they were not successfully able to um you know, have the kind of memories like you did. You had a lot of clarity and, um, yeah. Yeah, well, I think, you know, I, I try not to be too pro too much stuff and then completely against anything else. I try not to do that. I know I'm super pro polyvagal and, and, and somatic, but <laughs> I try and, like, especially with my podcast, I try and open up the door to as, as much as I can. But I think I think there's different therapies that can be a gateway for lots of different kinds of people. Um, I know with Pete Levine's work, sometimes they don't even have to go back and necessarily remember anything necessarily. Mm -hmm. They just need to come into the body and, and allow the body to tremble and to shake and do what it needs to do to get rid of that charge from the moment of the trauma taking place. So sometimes we don't even have to go back and remember necessarily, but mm -hmm. we do need to go back mm -hmm. and or go in to pull out 
you know, those sensations that have been trapped there for all of these years. So I think it's one in the same, but I think there's probably like 10, 20 plus therapies probably that could open it up. But as you probably well know, it's the person that's delivering the therapy to you. They need to believe in what they're doing. They need to hold a safe space. They need to understand you in, in the way that they can allow you to bring these things up and then be able to react to it in the safest way possible so i think it doesn't really matter what therapy you have mm -hmm. if the therapist isn't quite the right fit and you don't feel safe i don't think any therapy is going to work i think the key is to find that therapeutic relationship that is able to heal a lot of the wounds which let's be honest quite often are attachment-based issues anyway yeah, and mine certainly exactly. was because my parents were constantly working. So they didn't see this abuse happening. And, you know, of course they feel terrible about it now on reflection, but I felt very alone and no one could help me. And for a six-year-old boy to feel like that mm -hmm. is pretty, you know, pretty horrific. So he, you know, by the time I was in my twenties, I, I, I didn't believe I was worthy of anything because no one was there to save me. So why, why would, why yeah. would I want to be saved? So, uh, so I've opened up quite a few <laughs> strands there, but I hope that makes sense. Yeah, no, but no, it, it, it's very true. And and just that that sentence, I think that is very common with trauma survivors is, you know, not being able to get help and not being able to be rescued and, and, and not being seen. And, and that's the piece that stays with us, you know, and, um, and then, like you said, the question of worthiness and all of that. But uh, yeah, so that's, um, so where are you today? I know that you've, um, you've changed your podcast um from uh what was yeah, it yeah so it, yeah Something. it was man manco well-being yeah. um i've yes, just taken yes. a little siesta a little break from because <laughs> uh like you know that. social media can get on top of you after a while <laughs> um and the funny thing about me is mm -hmm. i've always been i've always been insanely creative so from like the age of 14 or 15 <laughs> i was writing poetry about all my you know my you know, my bullying. And I think it was my way of trying to process it. So I've always been, you know, I wrote yes. like a hundred poems as a teenager to, to, to about, you know, life mm. and trauma and everything. Not that I realized at the time that's what it was, but I've always been creative and, mm. and I love projects and, and, and hosting shows and all that kind of stuff. So I've been doing it for a long time, but it's, I've been trying to align myself in the best way I can. But I think some of the projects in the past I was using as a way to to feel better, to people please, you know, to be accepted. So it didn't feel quite right. Um, and Manco Wellbeing was, you know, directed towards men, but I just noticed more and more women were coming to the podcast, <laughs> everything I was doing. And I felt like oh, this is really awkward because I want female guests. So I realized actually it was, I wasn't quite aligned with it. So I thought, you know, I'm going to take a break because I was really starting to get a bit overwhelmed because the show was doing really well. It was getting loads of downloads, loads of comments and loads of people emailing me, like, can I come on the show? And I was like, oh my God, this is too much. So <laughs> I stepped away and I'm coming back with the Awareness Space podcast, which is filling my heart with, with joy because it's so aligned to my journey. And I think that's really important for any project you know any project that you do it needs to be aligned right so in january when i re when i kind of relaunch i guess i'm super excited to explore the world of awareness you know what awareness means to be aware of our mind and our thoughts and our nervous system and just yeah and just open up that door of conversation for people who are listening to this as well to just start to investigate more about human experience because i think that's the key really once you start learning about it oh my god things start to shift Oh, I love it. I love it. Yeah. And, and that's it. You know, I think, um, 
as we're, as we're healing it, it, a lot of us are, <clears throat> we don't have awareness. We're just kind of operating and thinking, why is my life? Why am I so nervous? Why am I so anxious? Why am I? And we don't really have like this awareness to, to like kind of putting the dots together. We, and so awareness of, of our past awareness of our trauma adaptions, awareness of our nervous system, awareness, awareness, awareness. It's so I love it. I love your title and I'm looking forward to it. So, so before we finish up, is there any last thing you want to say? Yeah, thanks so much. I think just following on from what you just said there, just to, to, to leave the audience with that kind of sense of once you just find one little nugget of information. So you might think, you know, I tend to get really reacted to this person, for example, you know, this person really affects me for some reason. And when you start to explore it, okay, so why is that? It doesn't have to be some big narrative story or anything like that. It's more about when you think about it from a, you know, a neuroception perspective. So two nervous systems having a dance. I started to think about who I was spending my time with, you know, what, what's going on with their nervous system, because it's clearly triggering mine. So once I started to learn about fight and flight, safe and social and shutdown, which nervous systems affect my nervous system in a certain way. And once I started to do that, I was able to really see more about me and what affects me. And then you're able to start to start to make changes that are actually quite effective. So you're able to put yourself in situations where people are, the people you're around make you feel safe and social. So you feel seen, you feel accepted, their posture's good, they've got good eye contact. You know, you start to see everybody else's nervous system. And once you've got to that point and you're out mm -hmm. there seeing all these nervous systems, you can go, wow, okay, this is really cool. And then your nervous system starts to become much clearer to you. So I just re-encourage people to look into fight and flight, safe and social shutdown, the polyvagal side of things. Just go check it out. It's really, really cool. And it gives you a, bit of a better understanding of, of what's going on because as soon as you know about story follows state, you can go, God, my thoughts are a bit little bit negative at the moment you go it's because i'm in fight and flight okay cool what can i do to address this fight and flight issue and then your thoughts will change from that so you're not spending forever battling your own thoughts so you know you're just letting it shift by itself through an awareness of your state so please everybody go and check out polyvagal it's really cool well i had her on the podcast here I know. so just you know you can check out some, yeah, some, some episodes prior and it was really a great, she just, I was so pleased. She just, she shared so much in such a short time. So I would yeah. recommend that. I would recommend um, some of her books. She's got a few books. Um, yeah, great. Well, how can people get in touch with you if they want to find out? Thank more you. I think work? the easiest way right now is because I'm just rebranding and obviously someone's listened to six months from now, what makes sense, but just check out, um, the awareness space. So if you go onto Instagram, the awareness space, that's the main place. That's where all my community is. There is a Facebook page as well, the awareness space, but just type that in on Instagram. It's the easiest way. And if you want to like just DM me, if you want to come on my show or whatever, ask me questions, then just drop me a DM. Um, and I'll leave you hopefully a lovely little voice clip to listen to. <laughs> we'll see. Oh, that's awesome. All right. Well, thanks no so problem. much. Thank Owen. you so much, Monique, for having me. I'm so, so grateful. Trauma healing and recovery starts to happen in the context of a safe, attuned, and empathetic relationship. To find out more about my trauma recovery coaching options, you could reach me on my website at www.cptsdcoach.com 
you can also visit me on Instagram and Facebook at CPTSD Coach. Thank you.